From in-depth analysis of basketball and football to life advice, Ryan Russillo has got you covered on the Ryan Russillo podcast. Join him as he talks to some of the best names in sports while providing sharp analysis and wit you won't find elsewhere. Check out the Ryan Russillo podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? We back. R2C2. Another week. I got my partner back. Well, that was a bonus episode. Yeah. <laughs> did you miss me? I did, cuz. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <good. laughs> it's good to be back. It's good to be missed. I hated missing Lindor. Um, and, and thanks to John for, for stepping in. Uh, and uh, I, I can only imagine how nervous he probably was as the first pod he's doing he's at a new network. Lindor, right? He's got Lindor, right? 34, 341 million. Yeah. <laughs> he's got he's got Lindor the day after the contract, and he's doing it with you. And you know, John's a diehard Yankee fan, you know. So like, and it's it it's it's a different it's a different thing too if you're like a you know talk show host who's like a die who's like a diehard fan than if you're like yeah, play like, by bro, play and you got listen, used to whatever you know. If, like, if I if I had to show up on a Zoom and do anything with Bo Jackson and I've never met him before, yeah, I would yeah. freak the fuck out. You know what I'm <laughs> exactly. saying? Like I would exactly. be nervous. I would not sleep the night before. Like exactly. So, so thanks to John because that was a that was a difficult spot and uh, and we so appreciate him him doing his thing with us um, and and holding the fort down while I was gone. Um, I have to say, see, doing the women's tournament in San Antonio, man, which is why I missed uh, the Lindor pod because I had uh, two games with the Final Four that day. But it was amazing, man. Like, it was an amazing event to do. Amazing. It looked it looked great. Um, we, uh, Jaden, my oldest, plays basketball, right? She's, a, she's on the JV team at Holy Angels here in New Jersey. And so we watched the um, um, the the Stanford Arizona game. Oh, we nice man! All of the second half of it, uh, we caught a little bit of the first half, but it was intense, man. Like good games, you know what I'm saying? Like close, like yep. good basketball. Like it was that was that was a lot of fun to watch, and I think a lot of people tuned in. Like you got a, a big time viewership, right? I saw on your Instagram, and I saw Renee post like the that the that the viewership was was up because. You know, it was great basketball, great, great basketball. And it was different teams. Yeah. You know, it was different teams in the Final Four. It was I mean, UConn was there, but, you know, you end up Stanford and Arizona in the championship game. So you're going to get some different viewership when you got the whole West Coast being represented, you know? Absolutely, man. It's It was from a, an event standpoint, energy, competition, level of play. It was incredible. It was incredible. The, we had so many great games, like, upsets which you're right like a lot of times you know in the women's tournament historically it has not been a wide open field no it's you know it's like you're gonna get UConn or Notre Dame or Baylor and then Baylor Baylor got the bad call at the end they probably should have you know what I'm saying yeah that was drama and you even had like some crazy other upsets like Indiana beat NC State who was a top seed uh Maryland was like a final four favorite for everybody they got upset by Texas. Wow. Like, and, and then Arizona um, ended up uh, upsetting Texas A&M and eventually, you know, getting all the way to the... I mean, Arizona beating UConn was shocking. Absolutely shocking to people. Um, and I was very surprised as well. Um, and you had some great stories too, right? It's the first time we had 
two black women uh, head coaches in the final four. Yep. Um, It's the first time we had um, two former WNBA players as head coaches in the final four. Um, And so, yeah. And and then the games were great. We get the numbers, dude. Yeah. No, the games numbers are great. But yeah. listen, if if like even the last play, like just if the are if the girl Ari McDonald, Ari, if she gets yeah. if she gets the ball in a better spot, she's she's hitting that shot. Like she, I know, I she, know. If, she, if oh. they give her the ball right when she claps for it, they gave it to her too late. So then she had to she had to back out. But if they gave it to her right there, she gets like a nice little mid range jumper and she's gonna hit that thing, bro. She oh. would hit a game winning shot. I'm telling you, I, it, I, it was just they didn't inbound her the ball at the right time. Let me tell you, this play-by-play guy, he was ready for a lit call on a game-winning <laughs> shot. <laughs> it was like, oh, my gosh. It was, uh, you know, the game before, too, the the Stanford-South Carolina game was insane. I don't know if you saw that, like, the missed shot at the buzzer on the follow. Oh, yes, yeah, I did. I yeah, did. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we had some great moments. Yeah, dude, viewership was up huge. Um, and what's interesting is uh, because it was two West Coast teams, and not like traditional ratings powers like UConn or Notre Dame in, in college basketball, uh, some of the people in the ratings business have predicted that the actual championship game would not do a good number. No. And instead, championship game uh, peaked at like 5.3 million. It did over 4 million on average, and it was up like 10% from 2019. This is at a time when sports ratings in general, TV ratings in general, are down. So it was like an enormous win. Plus, Final Four was way up. Elite Eight was way up. Sweet 16 was way, way, way up. Uh, so, yeah, man, it was fun. That's, it was fun. Did you get a chance to watch the, the men's final? I, dude, I, so I watched the the Gonzaga-UCLA um, game. is one of the greatest games I've ever seen in my you life. You know what? I didn't even watch that game, bro. You I didn't watch, watch it? No, no, I watched UCLA oh, the game before, and then I did not. Well, I don't know what I was doing that night, but I didn't watch Gonzaga-UCLA for some reason, man. But I heard about it. Obviously, the shot, watch the, the shot making was just the shot making was unbelievable, unbelievable. And then Suggs has two forever plays, right? The block into that insane bounce pass, mm-hmm. and then and then the three and to win the it. Three, yeah. yeah. It's just like, but it, it looked like I, I and I did. I hadn't watched Baylor play all year, right? I mean, yeah. I don't think many people did outside of Texas. I, 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 yeah. I don't know, you know, I didn't watch yeah. much college basketball, but like, I, you know, like everybody, Gonzaga was undefeated, so I just assumed that they were the best team in the country. And then I go and I'm watching that game, and it, it was like watching the AAU team that hadn't played the hood team yet. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> <laughs> Baylor was on their ass; they was all over the place. Cause like oh, it was, great. it was incredible to watch how hard they played in the defense and like not fouling, like yeah. contesting shots, like like baseline to baseline, sideline, like it was crazy. And 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 it was no, and they didn't really foul like. Yeah. Just the skill that they had on defense, man. It was, it was, that was fun to watch. To watch, it was impressive to watch them. Uh, just kind of, they just, kinda, they destroyed Gonzaga. Like they, they kicked their ass for real. They, they, they really did, man. They I did. thought, I, I thought Gonzaga would win just because, yeah, like especially after that semifinal win, it's like written in the stars, right? Yeah, like but you just like, assume, like they're thirty-one and zero, like it's yeah. the game winning shot, like they're gonna win, you know? Yeah, but but it was not to be, man. It was. I have to tell you though, this is um sad for me to admit because I was so into the uh you know I was just so into the tournament and and um you know obviously I was all over my games on the women's side of things and then I I loved watching uh the men's semis dude I was so tired so that game was Monday I got back uh from San Antonio Monday I was so tired I passed out before 
the national championship game even tipped off the men, <laughs> the, before the men's game even tipped off. I, 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 and I was excited about the game and everything, but I fell asleep before nine o'clock. And I was just like, I, I, I woke up. I found out what happened at, at like 830 the next morning, man. That's it a late just, start, by the way, nine o'clock. I know, man. I know. Especially like, I feel like in pandemic life, we got used to kind of not having sports. Yeah. And so it's like even more difficult for me to stay up late for a game, you know? Yes. Because even like for like during the pandemic, I, I started going to bed at 8, 830. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. And I was getting up at 6. So now that I'm, I, the latest I can stay up is like 11. Yeah. Like, I yeah. try to stay up and watch West Coast baseball now, and I'm like, I'm four innings in, and I'm fucking uh, passing out, bro. That's. A, I'm a, that, I think I'm going to take a nap tonight because I want to watch Justin Dunn pitch. He's pitching oh, against the White Sox is it nice? In Seattle, so I need to watch that whole start. Oh, that'll be fun, man. That'll be fun. Well, we're gonna have David Cohn on today. It's an amazing conversation. You guys are gonna love this. First of all, you know we're both close with Coney. Uh, he's just to me, he's as good an analyst uh, in sports as there is on TV during games. Um, and we we kind of did a great like deep dive on pitching specifics uh you know higashioka catching cole uh, versus gary no pine tar um analytics which tools to use you know and then and then you know some fun stories as well so yeah, you guys are gonna I, love that i feel like if i if i would have had a chance to play with coney we would have been really close and, and i think like, so too just our personalities and and you know i know my younger self i would have definitely gravitated towards yeah. Towards David Cohn as a young as a young baseball player. Young I, I was baseball. gonna say, especially pre sobriety, you know. Yes, one thousand percent. No doubt. Um, but but see, we start things uh, uh, as always with sling and heat. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I I actually got a little preview as to what C wants to sling heat on today, and I think <laughs> and I really like it. So C, what do you got first? Yeah. So my first sling and heat is is uh, with Shohei Otani. I mean, obviously, you know, you got everybody on this pod, and you know what I think about about that guy. He's the best baseball player I've ever seen. I'm gonna keep saying that, and he proved it the other night. Hardest hit home run in in the league so far, and he threw the hardest pitch in a game. Like he's a guy that like big leaguers dream about being like it's unbelievable but i don't think that he should hit the day he pitches um and, and this is why it, going to lead into that fifth inning he made the last out in the bottom of the fourth so rewind that the, the top of the fourth he had a tough inning get, he strikes out luis roberts lets out of like a little you know yeah you know what i mean and then goes into the goes into the dugout um he's and he's up he comes up makes the last out in the bottom of the bottom of the fourth and then he goes back out with no rest. And that's when you saw him getting in trouble. He couldn't find the strike zone. He was all over the place. Those are the hardest innings as a pitcher, the, the inning where you make the last out and you don't get to go in and sit down and, you know, get a rest or anything. So for him, you don't really – he doesn't really have to hit because he's in the American League. I think on the days that he pitches, you should you should definitely have a DH and just let him concentrate, focus, and focus solely on pitching, and maybe he can get you six or seven innings because right now – him hitting and pitching because he's so fast. Like he had a ground ball to second base and like a normal pitcher would just walk, but he could maybe beat that shit out. You know what I'm saying? So he's so dynamic that you almost have to take, you almost have to take one of those things away from him. So he don't hurt himself. So he don't, you know, it's so fun. See? It's so but much it's so fun. fun. But man. we want to keep him out there. And, we, and, and if you can keep this guy healthy, bro, this guy's going to win the MVP. Oh. So like, you got to take that thing. You got to take one thing away from him to let him be great at pitching. So, him running the bases and hitting and all of that shit the day he pitches, I don't think he should do. 
because he's so good and so fast at it. In the National League, you got to experience it, obviously, with Milwaukee for that half yeah, season. And those those times when I made the last out and then had to go out and, and, and get three outs were the hardest innings, cuz. Mm, Period. I mean, it's it's just it's just no time in between from, you know, and, and as a pitcher, you just used to your routine, like taking your jacket off, setting your stuff down, grabbing your glove, walking out. Like that's a part of your routine, you know, as a pitcher. So when you t- when you when that's taken away from you, you make the last out. It just kind of throws you off, and that's what I saw from him in that fifth inning. I don't think I, I just thought just thought he got tired because he had made that last out, sped down the first baseline, and you you need him to go out there and get three big league outs or get against a good lineup. Well, if they listen to you, I'm glad that they're listening to you after we got to see him hit that absolute bomb. Yeah, but he's, he's going to hit game. bombs, no, but, he no, just, but it just some, won't be the day that he pitched. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? There was, but there was something special about seeing him hit the bomb the day that he pitched. It was the it was the second time since 1977 that the American American League team had foregone the DH uh, to let the pitcher hit. And the he time hit second. Was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and the and the only other time it happened in that period of time, it was a lineup error with Andy Sonnenstein. It was a, it was a lineup error. So it was so cool, and to have that on ESPN, it was right after I did the, uh, the national championship. championship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, it was awesome, but. I, that's an interesting point. It makes a lot of sense. You've experienced it. It's less fun. But from the Angels' perspective, I get it. I get what but you're saying. But that's just the only day you take them out of lineup. You let them hit the day before. You let them DH the day after. Yeah. I mean, you let, you let them hit. Just just the day that he pitches is the only day I don't want to see him. And it's not even hitting. It's just running the bases. Yeah. Like, if he hits a double in the gap, you know, and then somebody makes it out right after, then he's got to go right to the mound. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like. It, it, like you got to you almost got to take take one thing away so he don't hurt himself. Like you, you got to just take take that thing away from him. just take the hitting away from him the day you're pitching. Yeah, yeah, and you have obviously nationally uh, pitchers deal with that, but they wouldn't deal with it as much because they're not going to have the same kind of offensive success that that Shohei no, is going to have, and, and and also he's DHing the days he's not pitching, whereas those pitchers in the National League obviously are not. And, and you, I mean, like, and, and just one of those things where you may want him to steal a bag. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, you're gonna want this guy to steal a bag and then go pitch. No, like, that's well, what we I'm can, saying. We can eliminate like, the stolen bases when he's pitching for sure. <laughs> that we could do. I hear you. All right, what do you got next for slinging heat? See, uh, my next slinging heat is that I think Garrett Cole should pitch every fifth day, no matter what. Um, no matter what that you know, juggle other guys around him. It'll it'll save guys, help guys um, with innings. It'll give them extra rest, but. Because he's so strong and he's ready and he take care, takes care of his body and he can handle all these innings, you know, no matter what the off days are or who's supposed to fall on that day, every fifth day, Garrett Cole's out there, period. But you, did you, when you were that workhorse, okay, which you were, you were a, you know, 200 plus inning guy. I'm, I'm underselling you by just saying 200 innings. Did, did you like to occasionally have an extra day thrown in there to keep you sharp or you just wanted to pitch on your day over and over and over on my day over and over and over especially when I was like locked in so 2007 8 and the second half of 2009 I had it took me a while to convince Joe let me to do it but I, that's how I pitched so 2007 um I came into the season and Wedgie was like listen no matter what off days no matter what happens you out there every fifth day. Get your mind right and get ready to pitch every fifth day, period, no matter what. And I was like, cool. So for those three years, I was able to do it. And I and you just get into your routine and, you know, you, you feel fine. So And you don't feel I, fatigued then? Nah, you, it's man. not like, ah, I could use an extra day this week? 
I mean, bro, I was 29, 28 to, to 27 to 30 years old. Like, it yeah. ain't no getting tired, cuz. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you're, and you're saying there. Cole's in the same spot right He's now. He's in the same spot right now where, you know, he he's strong. He, he, you know, every outing, you know, his fastball gets better and better. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's in that spot where you can where you can kind of ride him a little bit. Especially you can, you know, in a year where you're going to have to save some innings for some different guys. You don't know how many you're going to get from Tyon. You know, Herman didn't pitch last year. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I think it, this this is an easy way to save some innings from different guys, too. Is it actually helpful, too, as a pitcher to know, like for your routine to just know, like, hey, I'm going every fifth day, period, the end. Like, does that help you? It does. And it just helps you, like, I mean, like, pick, like me out, like, so it's April right now. I, like, Ruko, I swear to God, and you know me, I wouldn't know when I'm pitching in June. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would wow. line the days up to know. Like, hey, I'm pitching June 22nd. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, like, if I can line it up every fifth day from now to fucking September, yes, that shit okay. helps. Because it's just, in my mind, I know the days that I'm pitching. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I like it. You're bringing strong heat on this slinging heat. <laughs> what do we have for our third slinging heat, see? Yo, so as a fan, right, like, I'm a casual baseball fan now. So, last night I was <laughs> watching um, the Mariners, and I was watching the White Sox game, the Mariners-White Sox game, um, and Paxton started the game, he got hurt after 24 pitches, and they bring in a lefty, you know, to, to come in after Paxton gets hurt in the middle of the inning, so they got to bring in a lefty. It, my biggest pet peeve is watching a fucking bullpen guy come in and wa warm up on the game mound. Why the fuck <laughs> would you not warm up in the bullpen? You come to the game mound, you let the other team watch everything you about to throw. Literally everything you about to throw. Right here, you about to throw 30 pitches right in front of these motherfuckers. What are you doing? <laughs> they and it happens all the time. Like so, the guy comes in, walk next batter. Guess what? Fucking Homer because he's been standing <laughs> on deck watching you throw the last fucking thirty pitches. So he he knows where the ball's coming out of. So that's my biggest pet peeve as a fan is like if any baseball players, if any relievers listen to this, if a guy gets hurt in the middle of the inning, do not come out and warm up on the fucking game mound. Please warm up in the bullpen and jog your ass into the game, please. <laughs> <laughs> that could be my favorite slinging heat you've ever done. Fuck, man. That shit, it, it, it happens every time, because I'm telling you, bro. It's unbelievable. That is, that is excellent. That's a great point. Why not? Why not just finish warming up in the bullpen? Why come to the game, Mount? Like, it, that's weird anyway. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, that's so weird. Like, I, I don't know. But it happens all the time, and, and nobody ever, ever, ever warms up in the bullpen. They always come out to the mound, and they always have a shitty inning. Every time. And and have it's you always, always a shitty inning. Have you always thought about this? Like, why are always. they warming up here? I always so yell, like, what are you yeah. doing? Warm up in the fucking bullpen. It's crazy, man. Oh, that's great. That is an outstanding sling and heat. See, he brought it today. He brought it. <laughs> three, three full strikes to sling and heat here on R2C2. Now we get a chance to chat with uh, Yes Network analyst, uh, former Yankee, and, and, you know, many other teams, but a, a great pitcher, an outstanding analyst, and, and one of our good friends, David Cohn, uh, will dive into the Kyle Higashioka, the way he catches Garrett Cole, personal catchers, analytics, pine tar on the mound, everything. I gotta, why, why are you laughing? Because this is why people don't like Yankee fans or like Yankees, period, because you said former Yankee and many other teams. He played yeah. on other teams and won championships <laughs> on other teams, guys. Like, and then you say, and, and, and a few other teams. That's why people hate us, guys. Because of that shit you just did right there. 
Hey, let me tell you something. <laughs> Once you're a Yankee, you're exactly. a Yankee. No, no, no need to listen to the rest of the <laughs> yeah. shitty teams, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, although, you know what is funny? David had such a great experience with the Mets. Like, he loved his time with the Mets. Uh, so... He and he got to pitch a little for his hometown Royals. He won a championship with the Blue Jays. So there is there there are other experiences there, but but not like the Yankees. But he's Yankee David Cohn, right? He's Yankee David Cohn. So without further ado, here is former Yankee and Yes Network analyst David Cohn on R two C two. First of all, David, thank you for coming back on R2C2. Nice. I, you know, I thought I wore out my welcome last time. I was a little, you know, I got a little carried away. I, I didn't know the rules of the podcast. <laughs> there is no rules for this podcast, bro. That's, that's, the, that's the beauty of having a podcast. Yeah. I, I felt a little too liberated last time. <laughs> So are are you calling the games from home right now? Like, or do you go to the studio or like, what, what's the deal with right now? Yeah, we're at the stadium, actually. We're calling oh, okay. at the stadium. Even when the team's on the road, we're, for now, we'll be, at, we'll be at Yankee Stadium. Oh, okay. That's, what that's it, David, have you, first of all, feel free to feel totally liberated again uh, on this podcast <laughs> today. But have you, uh, ha- what has it felt like atmosphere-wise as far as just having you know, 10,000 plus fans back in the building as you're calling the games at Yankee Stadium? You know, I've noticed, Ryan, a lot of the little things that you take for granted. Uh, You know, noticing in last night's game, you know, fans chasing foul balls and the looks on their faces, you know, fathers and sons and mothers and and daughters, you know, and just that interaction that you can't, you know, you just didn't really think about much, you know. I didn't think about it a lot when I was a player and you kind of take it for granted, as I said, but there's a lot of those types of things, those little things, the crowd noise, the hecklers, the chase for the foul balls, just the noise, the smell. I was smelling yeah. bacon cooking last night. I got so yeah. hungry in the broadcast. I mean, <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, everything, C and I have talked about this a lot the last couple of weeks, but everything in life is perspective, right? And like, if you go, if you're used to having 50,000 fans and all of a sudden you have 10,000 you walk into the ballpark and you're like, oh my gosh, like what, what's going on? What's the turnout? But when you go from zero and everything we've been through the last year, there's this real appreciation for those little things you're talking about. And I have to say, like, see, I don't know what your impression has been like watching on TV, but to me, watching the games on TV, I've been amazed by how loud the crowd has sounded, like, and how much I'm hearing the crowd, even though it's a fifth of what we would normally have on a given night at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, and even I was watching the A's and Dodgers game last night and just having like the little uh, the drummer back, you know what I mean? In left field, like <laughs> hearing those little noises, like those annoying things like as a player that you just take for granted. Yeah, I mean, it's just great having having the crowd back. And I mean, for us, like as Yankees and playing in New York, the the fan experience is so much a part of being, you know, a Met or, or a Yankee that like not having that, it just takes away kind of like our home field advantage. You know, playing in the playoffs or late in the season, and you get a team coming into Yankee Stadium, coming into the Bronx, it's a big series, and you got fifty thousand, you know, Yankee fans there. That's that's a huge advantage for us. So, um, you know, I'm I'm excited to to hopefully have that back, you know, by the fall and have our our home field advantage back. 
David has like the 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 reactions to like home runs, like that kind of thing. Have have you been able to feel that energy as well in the ballpark? Yeah, I mean, it really was uh, the buzz after Giancarlo Stanton's <laughs> blast the other night was just incredible. I didn't even know how to call that play, Ryan. I was looking for you in the booth. Like, wow, just wow. I mean, I, I, that's my professional analysis on on that swing. There was a buzz. There was a buzz in the crowd after that swing. That, that I haven't heard in a while, and it, it was it was pretty pretty uh, pretty fun to watch as you you see the fans processing and pointing out to where it landed. Just just incredible. Yeah, it, it's therapy now, right? Like it's it's therapy to have some of those these little slivers of normalcy to get to experience them. David, how about uh, keep? I want to get to some bigger picture pitching things with you and whatnot, but keeping it on the more um, recent. Last night watching Cole. What what jumped out most to you about Cole and and just how dominant he was? You know, to me, you know, Ryan, you know, I, I like to look at the, you know, the, his pitch selection. You know, what pitches he's using, what's what's working or not. And I know CC, I, I did the same thing watching CC pitch. You know, on nights when CC w- would get his good changeup going, it's like, uh oh, he's gonna he's gonna bust some hitters in, right? He's gonna bust bust those righties in, and he's gonna abuse them soft and away, hard in, soft away. It's it's been around for a hundred years for pitchers, you know, and that, that's pretty easy formula. Cole's got that formula now. I think, you know, he's throwing more changeups than I've ever seen him throw, and not just throw it. It, it was effective. He got four or five uh, strikeouts on his changeup, which is his fourth best pitch. You know, I, I didn't really see that many good changeups last year from him. He looks like a real four pitch pitcher now. Looks like he's got a new toy that you know what? Hey, I can mix this one in. And CC knows this, but when you get a new grip or a new changeup or something, a new pitch. You can't wait. Maybe for CC it was the cutter. You can't wait to throw it. You can't wait to use it. When you have success with it, it's like the light bulb goes on. And, and you can tell about halfway through the game, him and Higgy made an effort to keep throw, to keep using it. You know, I, I feel like they came into the game like we're going to use the changeup, and it was so good that they probably were like, we're going to keep going to it, keep going to it. And that's, you know, that's just them having a great relationship and being able to talk in between innings and be like, yo, the changeup's really good. Let's keep going to it. And it just, it just like you said, just gives them a new toy to kind of get them off his slider and, and different things where his slider is really good, but you can't use it every, you know, every two strike count. So if you have that changeup and you can mix in that curveball and he throws 101, like, he, I mean, you know, if he, when he's got it going, he's going to be unhittable on good, on good nights. Let, you know what? You bring up the, you both brought up the, the um, you know, kind of the rhythm, the pitch selection, and we, we've seen it, right? Like, and, and I thought Aaron Boone last night, he handled the question really well about Higashioka and the way he connects with Cole. Will he see him moving forward? And we <laughs> you, know. I mean, you had to know that was going to be a question, right? Oh, right. Exactly. Of course <laughs> it's going to. Like, and so I, you guys have both experienced this in the most intimate way possible on the mound and having, you know, certain catchers, right? Um, David, I, I, the way I, this is my perspective on this is, hey, get first of all, I'm, I'm so happy for Gary. He's off to a great start. If for whatever reason, Garrett Cole just connects a little bit better and is a little bit more comfortable with Higashioka and you want to just try and line things up as conveniently as you can to make them continue to work together, if that's going to settle Garrett Cole in even more mentally, cool. Let it be. Sanchez is going to have the other days to catch anyway. Let's not make it a bigger deal. We want to give him days off. If there happens to be a guy, even if it's the ace, who he really connects with, okay, just, just line it up that way. And I, I don't think it has to be an enormous deal. I think if this ace wants that, you can do that. And it's not an enormous slight 
to Gary because you're going to need to give him days off anyway. Obviously, playoffs becomes a different conversation. That's when it gets ratcheted up. But you've gone through that. You kind of had you had Girardi as your guy for a, for a while, right? And I know Joe was in a little bit more of a mix, um, you know, because I think he, Joe had you and Andy at one point, or you know, he had he had at least he had you and someone else, I think, at one point. But how, David? How would you approach it if you're the Yankees and you're seeing the way Higgy and uh, Higgy and, and Cole work together? And is it a big deal, or do you just say like, ah, they really work well together? Just do it. Just do it, and it's okay. I would embrace it from the Yankee standpoint, get in front of it, you know, cause you know, the media is going to ask the questions and they're going to, they're going to try to, to, you know, uh, try to find out what's going on behind the scenes as they always do. And rightly so. So for me though, you know, it's good to have your backup catcher work well with your ACE. I mean, that's been tried and true for, for a long time. If you go back to the Yankees of the fifties or even, even uh, longer, the backup catcher was somebody, you know what, it, it, it's a good formula if he, with your best pitcher that he works well, then you can give, your regular catcher an off day on, on a regular basis. So, you know, Sanchez is going to need off days here and there. He gets beat up too. He's a big guy. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's a positive. In other words, I think it's a positive that Higashioka and Cole work, work well together. That's an asset. And that, that's what I would promote from the Yankee side. And I don't understand why it's such a big deal because when I was here, AJ threw the Hosey, you know what I mean? It was AJ and Hosey on the days that AJ pitched. So I mean, and it wasn't a big deal. I don't think, you know, Sato never said anything to me. Like, he never took it personal. So, I mean, it just kind of is what it is. And and Higgy and Garrett have known each other for a very long time. They played together in high school. So, just naturally, them being from Southern California, you know, they can be sitting on the bench and start talking about a guy, you know, that they played together with in high school. And then the conversation goes to how you're going to pitch the guy, you know what I'm saying, the guy coming up in the next start. So, their conversation and their 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 friendship is just natural because they've known each other for so long, and it, and it translates out out on the field, and you can see it easily. But hold on a second, you guys both threw to Sato. You telling me Jorge was cool with that? There's you know no- what? He never he never said nothing to me. I don't know. I don't know, Cody. He never he never said anything to me. Maybe if it was me, that was like you know what I'm saying. Said I want to throw the hosey, it'd have been a problem. But he never said nothing to me. He, I I don't think he really. I don't think it bothered him because. He was still catching the number one at that time, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it was a different story when when Sato was was a rookie breaking in, and I was the old guy trying to hold on, and my skills diminished overnight. I lost a foot on my fastball, and I was trying, <laughs> trying to get stuff out there, and it just wasn't working. And and Sato kind of got the brunt of it all that year, and that was the year Joe Girardi left. You know, mm. so it was the first year I didn't have Girardi as my catcher, and I really struggled. And it wasn't Sato; it was me. It was an old pitcher losing his stuff. And not dealing with it very well, and uh, so, you know I've apologized to Jorge probably a hundred times. <laughs> Some of the things I said to him that year in 2000 when I lost like ten in a row that year. So, you know. Sato's one of the, one of the to me Jorge Posada is a, a Hall of Fame type catcher. You know he really is one of the great catchers of all time. Certainly uh, in Yankee lore, he he belongs you know on that Mount Rushmore of great Yankee catchers. Yeah, for sure, and and I mean, we, me and him, we just had a, a natural, naturally great relationship. I, I love this fieriness. You know, what I'm saying like he would come out and you know get upset and get mad, and that's something that I had with Victor Martinez. I was gonna ask you, Coney, who was your favorite guy to throw to throughout your career? Like who who was the guy that you connected with the 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 easiest, the best when you were out there, and you know, in between starts, you know, in the dugout and stuff too. You know, CC, I was lucky. You know, I had Gary Carter, you know, the, the late Greg uh, Hall of Famer uh, with the Mets my rookie year, and he taught me a lot, and he was great. He was such a good guy. 
you know, he legitimately wanted to help you. And in an era too, back then, CC, as you know, uh, where rookies kind of got hazed and you had to play that rookie role. Uh, Gary Carter was the opposite of that. He was kind of ahead of the curve. So I was really lucky to have Gary. And then of course, Joe Girardi later in my career was, was the right guy at the right time. The thing about a good catcher is, is that they don't take things personally. In the heat of the battle, CC, we get a little nutty out there. I know you get crazy. <laughs> and you can't, you can't hold that personally. As a catcher, you've got to be like a psychotherapist too. You've got you to help these guys through uh, and not just not get mad and understand in the heat of the battle that, that, that stuff's going to happen. And pitch, we pitch once a week, you know, we, that could drive you a little crazy if it doesn't go well. Yeah. Is that like, Coney, is that, does that manifest in like, hey, don't take it personal if I'm shaking you off or how does that, how, how does that conflict kind of uh, arise in the heat of battle? All sorts of things. It's about mm -hmm. reading body language. It's about a level of understanding. You know, I know I, uh, when I struggled with Jorge uh, in his, it wasn't his rookie year, but back in 2000, um, you know, I would react to a hanging slider in my body language. I would be mad at myself. And then he would think that I was mad at him because mm. he didn't know me well enough uh, or to, to read my, my cues or my body language. And Joe Girardi understood immediately. He's like, ah, it's just Coney. He's just mad at himself or blowing off some steam. And if you understand that as a catcher, then you don't take it personally. That goes a long way. And that's why I've been trying to tell you, Ruko, about like, I always wanted my catchers to really know me and know my personality and know that I'm never mad at them. So I was always the closest with with all the catchers that I ever played with, with whether it was Victor Martinez or, you know, um, McCann. Uh, Russell, Russell Martin, Brian McCann, Sato. Uh, I, I always made it a point to be uh, Francisco Cervelli. I always made it a point to get to know these guys and for those guys to know me because I will be out there motherfucking, but I don't want you to think that I'm talking to you. You know what I'm saying? You know, my catchers always knew my body language and who, and who I was mad at. So that always made for a great relationship. And I, and, and I always trusted them. You know what I mean? So, I mean, for a guy that did no studying and everything, I always had to rely on my catchers. So, you know, I always <laughs> made sure our relationship was good. But that's an interesting dynamic to me, too, is just the process. Like, because I find this stuff fascinating, but the process of deciding, like, what pitch to go with, right? Because there's more information than ever before. And I'm sure you're computing a variety of different factors, right? You're computing your strengths. You're computing how you feel that day, what's working, the count, the particular batter, scouting reports, catcher's desires. Like, I, I guess how, if you were distilling your decision-making on the mound for what pitch you want to throw in any given moment, for both of you, David, I don't know if you want to start, but like, what would you say is the first, like the most important things as you're distilling that process for what pitch you're going to throw when? Well, you know, I've heard CC talk about this and I completely agree. You know, the first and foremost thing for a pitcher is pitch to your strengths. You know, uh, you know, and, and that goes along the category of feel. You know, CC was a feel pitcher. I actually was a feel pitcher too. And I remember in a lot of team meetings back in the day, as they say, that you know, we'd have a we'd have the advanced scout come in the clubhouse and read a handwritten report. And this guy, this guy's a good slider ball hitter. And and I would stop the meeting right then and I'd say, who's slider? Not my slider. <laughs> Not mine. That's the one I'm throwing. <laughs> so, you know, my slider, I would throw to anybody at any time, you know, when I was feeling good. So, you know, I, I you know, I know CC probably agrees with this, but you know, the default mode for any pitcher should be, you know what, don't overthink it. Just go with your strengths because conviction is the most important thing, more important than, than uh, selection. 
execution is more important than selection. That's exactly what I was about to say. It, it didn't matter what pitch they called. I was just going to execute it to the best of my ability. And, with, and, and, and I'm going to be honest, like, in my mind, like, I listened to Marcus Stroman talk, and I was like Marcus Stroman. I would never say none of that shit out loud when I was pitching, <laughs> but I was. Like, I always felt like I could outstuff you. Like, when I'm on the mound, I'm like, I, I got the best shit out here, period. So whatever you call back there, Sato, I'm going to make this pitch. It don't matter if it's Joe Maurer up there and you want me to throw a slider. Okay, I'm going to make this pitch. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just always felt like I could execute when I was really good. Like, when I was in, in, in my prime, obviously, I just felt like I could execute. So that's why I say I just relied on my catchers and, and their information and whatever you guys call. Okay, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm rolling with you. But I'm going to execute this shit to the best of my ability. So you didn't shake off a lot then, see? I, I didn't shake off pretty much never. No, not at all. Um, younger catchers, you know, uh, like Savelli and, and maybe uh, Gary at the beginning when we first get to know each other. But after 10 starts, no, it, it was no shaking off because they already knew what, that I'm going to pitch to my strengths and I can only do what I can do. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. And, and, and I'm going to stay within, you know, my parameters and I'm going to try to execute within those. And, they, and all my catchers knew that. Coney was well. Wells was like that too, right? Where he didn't. He just wanted to whatever you put down. He wanted to go with it. Is that right? Yes, and you know it, it's a good formula. I mean, it depends on your personality. Everybody's different. You know, Mark Burley was a was a, a good left hander, a great left hander that had mm -hmm. that theory where he worked so fast. Tell me where you want it, and, and let me just worry about throwing it there as fast as I can. Uh, for a lot of pitchers, that works very well. You know, not everybody's the same. You know, I would shake off at times if I got a feel, you know, inning to inning, you know, where I thought, you know, what, well, I found my curveball. You know, I want to throw it. I want to throw it. Or, mm. or splitter. You know, I got my splitter going now. I found it. Uh, you know, then then I would probably, you know, uh, take the lead. You know, I talk about, you know, it's like a dance. You know, sometimes you let the catcher lead and you follow. And then sometimes the pitcher, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to lead for a minute here because I got a feel. I got something, I, you know, I want to do here. But. Uh, you know, that's the relationship with a catcher you need to have so that he reads that from you and then he he can get on that page quicker and get, get that sign down a little quicker to you so you don't get fr frustrated waiting, just constantly waiting out there for, for the right sequence. What do you think from today's sort of um, scouting reports and analytic arsenal, David? Like, I, not, I, I want to ask you about the tools like Rapsodo and all that, but but for this particular question, I mean just more so when you're looking at opposing hitters. What do you think, what information on opposing hitters do you think you would use today that wasn't available to you when you were pitching? Well, you know, just, I think you would want your catcher to, to absorb it. I'm like CC too, you know, Girardi was very good at that, absorbing the scouting reports. I would be aware of it. Certainly I would. Um, you know, the first ball hitters, I want to know who's, mm. who's, trying to, who's trying to come out, who's sitting dead red. You know, you certainly want tendencies. Hey, this guy, hey, this guy will cheat. He'll cheat on a first ball fastball. You better be careful. Or, or, uh, you know, with two strikes, this guy sits breaking ball. So maybe that's the time when you can throw a fastball by him and pitch backwards and finish with fastballs. So those those type of tendencies are all good to know as far as that goes for me. And and uh, that's something that, you you know, CeCe said, if you've got a trust with your catcher, then you can take that off of your brain a little bit, you know, and, and relax a little, relax your mind. You know, for a pitcher, if you can relax your mind, then you get out of your own way. And then rhythm and your natural rhythm and your natural ability just kind of comes through when you let it happen. You know, that's why a lot of the old baseball scouts used to say, you know what? The best ball players are the dumbest ones. They don't think. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. It's, well, it's like the, the Yogi quote, right? About uh, 90 or 90% 90 of the game is half mental. 
Right? Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> like it it really does feel that way. It's such a I mean, we we talk about this all the time, David Singy and I do, but like just the the fortitude to be a baseball player mentally, to deal with the failure you have to deal with, you know, just within a performance and and just for comparison's sake, if you told me that during the course of, you know, my broadcasting season, I'm going to have, you know, 70% of my broadcasts I'm not going to feel good about. Like, I, I would crumble. Like, there's no, there's no way. And then, okay, even if we want to look at the, that's the hitter, obviously, hitting 300 analogy. But even if we want to look at the pitcher side, right? Like, if you told me, hey, I'm going to have, you know, three or four or five or six or seven or eight moments of broadcast where something's going to go really wrong, you know, and I'm going to have to, like, bounce back from that, it's going to, Oh my gosh, I'm going to feel terrible like that. It's awful. But that's what you guys face. Like every time you're on the mound, like how how did how did you keep your mind right, David, as you're on the mound? Uh, I drank a lot. <laughs> Classic <laughs> baseball player answer right there. <laughs> yeah. All, all kidding aside, you know, it really does you have to have a a, a thick skin. You know, you really develop a thick skin. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of talk about the, you know, the, the game, the culture, of the game changing. You know, I, you know, I mentioned before where the, when I came up, they were really hard on the rookies, you know, mm-hmm. and, and part of that was, is they wanted to test you and they wanted you to develop that thick hide or that thick skin. I think we go about it a little differently nowadays. And I think that rightly so. Some of that hazing was just mean and cruel, you know, over the years, 20, 30 years ago, I think it's much better now. And, I was never a big fan of hazing, but I understand the concept behind it is, you know what? You do need to develop a thick skin. You have to be able to deal with adversity. You got to be able to just really get your ass handed to you out there, you know, and so you're just completely thoroughly embarrassed at times in order to understand what it feels like and also bounce back from it, use it as motivation. And, you know, that's the key. I think a lot of great athletes, they, they use that, that downtime or when, when you do get your ass kicked, they use that as motivation for the next time. Yeah, and the, the 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 hazing definitely sucked, but it, it it you know, like you said, they just wanted to make you tough and mentally strong and keep you confident. Like as much as we got hazed, you still had to be confident to be able to walk in that locker room every day. You know what I'm saying? Like it was a weird thing. Like it, it was it's a weird balance that they that they played on you. But I mean, I I hated every minute of going through it and I never want anybody else to go through it, but I understood it. Like you said, I understood, you know, I understood I, I needed to go through this in order to be, you know, rightfully a big leaguer, if that makes sense. See, didn't you have some? you had something you'd say to yourself on the mound, right? To try and keep yourself, like, locked in or present? Uh, I mean, I always, I, a bunch of different things when I was out on the mound. I always talked to myself. Um, I mean, I would always just tell myself to keep pitching. Um, you know, like, I would always, like, it was like a, like that, like that Nemo, uh, Finding Nemo song, just keep uh, swimming. I would always tell myself, <laughs> just keep pitching, just keep making pitches. You know what I'm saying? So I don't, it, I, my mind was working so many different ways when I was on the mound, like, you know, singing songs, you know, trying to stay calm, trying not to think about things. Like, it was always a battle, constant battle out there on the mound. I was watching the game the other day. Uh, Nelly Cruz went deep. He had a grand slam. And everybody's in the dugout celebrating and all these different things. It's a great moment. Shoemakers, he's in the game. He's pitching. It's the fourth inning. He's going out there for the fifth inning to get the win. They're up like six to one. And he's in the dugout just like this, like just trying to talk himself through the next inning. And I, 
I pointed, I told Amber, I was like, that is what I don't miss about baseball right there. <laughs> because you're just sitting in the dugout. You can't be a part of the team. You're just worried about the next three outs. You know what I'm saying? It was always just about getting through that next inning, man. And, and that anxiety and, and thinking about all that shit is what I don't miss about pitching for sure. Just to bring it back to Higgy for a moment, uh, Coney, would you, if you're, if you're Cole and you know, hey, like, I have this relationship. And see, I thought you brought up a great point. You know, with Higgy, he also has known Cole since high school, right? So there's sort of like this embedded softening, if you will, from the Gary perspective of how you present it to him. Like, look, I've, we've known each other forever, you know? But um, I'm wondering, David, if you were Cole, would you feel like you'd have to say something to Sanchez if you did... Like, if you did prefer Higgy, if you're behind the scenes saying, like, hey, you know what? I think we have something special going here. I would like to pitch to him as much as I can, you know, which I don't know if, if Cole's doing that or not. But I'm saying if he was, would you feel like you have to then just say something to Gary to say, like, hey, man, it's nothing against you. I enjoy throwing to you. I just feel like we have something special. Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, Cole's a talker. You can see him. He, he likes to talk. <laughs> uh, I mean, even during his starts, you can see him like analyzing pitches, and he's so wired. He's into it. He's a perfectionist. So I imagine he's probably already done some of that. You know, I'll, I'll say it this way. You know, um, I see a lot of pitchers who, who think that they need a personal catcher, and then when that other catcher ends up hitting a three-run home run, they're the first one on the top step of the dugout to shake his hand, you know, and <laughs> yeah. start running. So. Uh, you 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 have to keep your balance there as a pitcher, and I think Cole does. Uh, he's going to throw to Gary. He's going to have to. It could be game one of the playoffs. Gary might go off this year and hit fifty home runs or forty home runs. He might have a you know a, a top five MVP type year. I mean, Gary's got that kind of ceiling, and I don't think we'd be surprised if he did just go off and have an, a monster year. Um, yeah. With that being said, you know if you're Gary Cole. You, you got to deal with that. You know, you got to be able to deal with both of these guys. You know, it's not just about you. Yeah, that's what you need to understand. Yeah, there's certain times where, you know what, um, I'm struggling a little bit. Let, let me have Higgy tonight to get me going. You know, that, that might be something you, that you might say to the manager. And then, you know, it, maybe you would need to talk to Gary if that's the case. But you still got to prepare for both at this point if you're, if you're Cole. You got to be ready to pitch against, pitch with both of those guys. And, and and everybody involved in this has a great personality, so I don't I don't see this being a problem. But like Coney, like now that you said that, I I have done that where I went in there and be like, hey, let me get Hosey for a for a start or two, or like let me get. It was Chris Stewart used to get me right a lot yes. um, he when good. he was the backup, yeah. and he backed up Russ a lot, and I be and I go in Joe's and I'll be like, man, give me Stu for like a start or two. You know what I'm saying? Just to get like just to get that different perspective, and a lot of the times the backup catchers who you sit on the bench and talk to. You know what I'm saying? Like, in, in, during the games when you're not pitching, so he already has a feel of how you want to pitch guys or, you know, what you what you want to do in certain situations. So, yeah, I forgot about that. But, yeah, I, I went in Joe's office a couple of times and told him to give me the backup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. How, how about, uh, see, just knowing, just the last thing on this, knowing Gary the way that you do, um, do you think, like, if it became a regular thing, would there be any sort of like extra conversation that be needed just to make sure he doesn't get in his own head and stays confident? No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I mean, I think everybody at this point just knows we, you know, they want what's best for the team and what's going to make them better. Um, you know, and, and everybody knows that Gary needs the days off and, you know, if it does end up working out that way, I mean, listen, we're just talking right now. We don't even know if that's, 
the case. You know, we no. just seen that Cole had a good start and, you know, he, yeah. he was back there. So, you know, G Gary could be back there in, in five days. So, you know, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think, like I said, everybody involved just wants to win and has a great personality. And, you know, Gary and Higgy have a great personality. You know, I think everybody roots for Higg because, like, Higg was that guy, like, that would be in minor league camp. And, you know, he was around high A, double A. And he would be in spring training, but he would be backing up in the big league game. Like, just down there catching big league bullpens. Like, not getting at bats, just down there. You know what I'm saying? Like, grinding. Mm -hmm. So, like, Higgy literally grinded through the minor leagues. And I think, like, everybody has an appreciation for him because of what he went through to get to the big leagues, man. Like, he had a different route, man. Like, Higg would go – he would be the guy that would get designated from, from double A. They send him the A ball, like – it was just like he was just the backup catcher for every, yeah. for the whole organization from yeah. the big leagues down to rookie ball. And now he's getting a chance to play in the big leagues. Like, you know, it's exciting. You know, it's exciting for us to see him do this. So, you know, like I said, everybody, everybody just wants what's best for the team and, and, and hopefully they can work it out. Yeah. How about, um, you know, just to just on Gary outside of this issue, it's so great seeing him get off to the start that he's gotten off to. And uh, C and I had Gary on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, David. And, you know, one of the things that I talked about is just how, uh, I mean, I I've hated the way the Yankee fans have treated Gary. Uh, you know, and when I say Yankee fans, I'm painting a broad brush there. I know there are some that are supportive. But for whatever reason, he's been, you know, one of these, I, I think you've used the term, David, lightning rod guys, right? Who, like, for whatever reason, he draws the ire every mistake that he makes draws the ire and is highlighted and eclipses the good. And I, you know, I he is a sensitive guy. He's a really, he's C always talks about what a hard worker he is. Um, and, and because he's a sensitive guy, I think it affects him and where he feels like he has to make up for things then because I think he does feel the weight of like, you know, the fans being upset at him. Um, but I, I, I'll always remember, David, your rant. We did a game in, I think it was you and me in Kansas City. And you, yeah, and and you you went on a great, I'm calling it a rant. We could use an elevated term if you want, but I, I think it was kind of a rant, like about like, I'll take that guy as my catcher. You know, and I, I, I love that perspective because you're someone who knows all the particulars of the art of pitching and, and appreciates the art of catching. And you're someone who loudly exclaims support for Gary Sanchez. Yeah, you know, I, I some of the criticism, I think, is very unfair. Uh, and it makes you wonder where it's coming from. You know, uh, I don't want to go off on a tangent here. But, you know, I, when you hear terms like lazy, that sounds a little racial to me. You know, I, yeah. you, you hear, you know, and, and why, why, why do we call the Latin ballplayers lazy? Or somebody of color lazy, you know. Gary's not lazy. There's nothing lazy about Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez wants it badly. So you know, I'm not saying that everything's racial here, but you know, it makes you wonder. Maybe they're, you know, that that maybe he set the bar a little high because when he broke in, it, it was gangbusters. You know, yeah. Wow, he hit 20 home runs in about 20 days. It felt like <laughs> when he broke in. So you know, there's a lot of issues there. Uh, people expected such great things from him from the way he broke in. Uh, when he started to struggle a little bit, then people were looking for a reason why. And some of the pass balls, visually, pass balls are something that really that fans see and can jump on. But as far as list of importance for catchers, pass balls is kind of down the list a little bit. You know, it, you know, he had six or seven extra pass balls over the course of a year. That amounts to maybe one or two extra runs in the in the grand scheme of a 162 game season. That's 
Well, yeah, that's down the list of importance in my mind. The guy he catches frames, throws the ball well, hits, hits homers when I'm pitching. Hopefully the day I pitch, you know, uh, you know, th- those are the things that are much more important than, you know, a, a handful of extra pass balls o- over the course of a year. And, and I think if you go ask all the pitchers, they love him behind the plate because he's got a cannon. So if anybody's running and, you know, he could tr- control the running game so easy because he throws the ball so well back behind the plate. Yeah. Nice to know that, like, you know, those extra bases aren't going to be taken, right? But I, I agree with you, David. And hopefully this is the year that he silences it. Um, I, 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 I love that, that CeCe's been really out, outspoken on our pod about his, Gary's work ethic to try and dispel, you know, that, you know, ridiculous notion, which I think your insights, you know, there definitely could be some truth to the origins of that, David. And, and so hopefully he continues to hit like this. Um, I'm wondering... You know, we talked a little bit about the uh, foreign substance rule, um, <laughs> and uh, and we had a we had an interesting discussion about it because, see, why don't you give like I'm going to frame it. You tell me if I'm framing this correctly. Like you were saying, like, hey, pitchers when they're using stuff, you usually it is just to get a grip so they know where the ball is going. Is am I am I accurately characterizing yeah. that? See, yes. Yeah. And, and, okay. And, and I think hitters would want you to have something on your on on your hand to be able to to control the ball, so you're not throwing the ball at their face. Yes. Now, David, what do you think? Like, does it when you saw the ban on these substances? Uh, just what was your what was your initial reaction to Major League Baseball coming out the way they did against like pitchers using pine tar and that sort of thing? Well, you know, I I was thinking back, you know, in, in 19. Uh, 88, the Mets. I was on the Mets and we were playing the Dodgers in the playoffs. And the Dodgers closer was a guy named Jay Howe, but a really good curveball. And Jay Howe got kicked out of that game in the playoffs for having pine tar on his glove. Too much pine tar. He had a really good curveball. And at the time, we all thought exactly, well, it, it doesn't really help your curveball. It's just a cold night. It helps you get a grip. Well, now we're finding out that we were wrong. You know, we, we were wrong. That actually. <laughs> They can measure that now and whether you, you know, how accurate these measurements are now with the high speed cameras and the spin rate, you hear things about spin rate and RPMs now, and you see that, wow, uh, this guy's spin rate jumps, you know, uh, 500 revolutions per minute, you know, uh, from last year to this year. And his fastball's hopping now. It's got a little ride to it up in the strike zone. And wow, now, now I'm a little confused. Is is this a performance enhancer now? And, (laughs) you know, now we can measure this and uh, now, you know, it's, uh, it just makes me think that, you know what, we were wrong back then. We thought pine tar didn't really help you, your curveball break more or your fastball jump or move more. Well, apparently it does. And, mm. you know, that's something that they're paying attention to. And, you know, it's um, maybe there's a, a universal substance they can agree to that all pitchers can use. You see, because- but that's what I told you, Ruko. You put a number on it and now it's cheating. You know what I'm saying? Like if you could put a number on the, the revolutions and the and – the, RPMs and you can see it now it's cheating. Yeah. That, and yeah. And, that, and that's why that's why everybody's freaking out. But that, it, like 10 years ago when there was no rap soto and none of that shit, it didn't make a difference. You know what I'm saying? But now that you can put a number on it and see that a guy's curveball spinning faster, then now he's cheating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is like I, I mean, David, you know the, the one thing and I think I think Trevor Bauer's agent may have even brought this up, but like how they're going to calculate like past performance versus current 
if you've been using the whole time, right? It's like if you've been using, yeah, yeah using yeah. what? Yeah. Like, what? No, 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 no. <laughs> pine tar, pine tar. Okay, if you've been using pine tar, oh, man. if you've been using pine tar your whole career, it's like I wonder how they'll evaluate. All of a sudden, there wouldn't necessarily be a jump to look back to, right? If you if you if you've been using if you if you've been using pine tar and it actually is increasing your revolutions per minute, right? And and you've used it from the time you're a rookie, then it's almost like, okay, how are we gonna we can't distill that evidence, but for the people who, you know, started at some point within, you know, the tracking, then maybe it would be easier to find. Which is I it, right, it makes it it's kinda like that's that that's whack. It's, you it's, know it's, what I'm it's hard to distill. It's <laughs> it's whack, hard bro. to figure it out, right, David? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's impossible. It's, it's impossible, impossible to to sort of uh you know, um, it's like sticking your thumb in a hole in a boat. You know, you're leaking water and you're trying to plug the hole. You know, there's just it's not going to work. You know, and, and no matter what type of policing you do, I think they're trying to understand what's going on. Yeah, so that's, you've got spies in the dugout now. You have uh, you're, you're going to have uh, Major League uh, Baseball's personnel around looking at everything, looking at everything. You know, the, the the video gate. You know, the Houston Astros situation in 2017 that opened the door. For Major League Baseball to say, hey, you guys can't police yourselves. Okay, now we're going to have to come in and do some policing ourselves. And now that's just fed into to now Spingate. You know, <laughs> now we got Spingate. You know, we had Video Gate. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's uh, you know, it, it's baseball players, as I said, we've always prided ourselves in, you know, let us handle it. You know, beanball wars, we'll handle it on the field. But we got this. Stay out of it. Umpires, don't, don't give warnings. Let us handle this. We'll do this. We've always – for a hundred years, policed ourselves on the field. Now it's kind of the cat's out of the bag, and uh, we don't know where this is going to go. And uh, yeah. how you how you police spin? I don't know how they're going to do that. I think they're just trying to to let everybody know that they're being watched. You know, it's like if if, if they can do like a sky. universal a universal pine tar or whatever it is like that that everybody can use that all the guys can use. I think I think that'll work. You know what I'm saying? If if it's something that but there's nothing besides the rosin that a pitcher can use. You know what I'm saying? To, to, to get a grip. So if, if they came up with something, I'm sure pitchers would be in on that for sure, whether it's bullfrog or whatever, whatever, whatever you want to <laughs> <Right>. use. <laughs> do, do you feel like you needed something, David? Like, like how often, I mean, do, do, you, you, don't, you don't have to speak personally if you don't want, but like as a pitcher, do you feel like you need something to be able to get a grip? You know, I, the times that I tried pine tar, you know, I started to develop hot spots on the pads of my fingers and, and led the blisters. So that scared me kind of away from it. Interesting. And, and I thought it was high maintenance. It was sort of like another worry when I'm pitching. Oh, wait a minute. Where am I hiding my pine tar? Is it right? Every inning, I got to make sure I got to change it. You almost become, uh, you almost become dependent on something. And I hated that feeling. I want to depend on myself. I didn't want any distractions when I was on the mound, you know, uh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. It, 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 do I have my gear right? Where, where, is my glove right? Do I got yeah. my glove? Where am I going to keep it? How do I hide it? You know, I, I, didn't want, I didn't want that worry. That's a real thing, though, like in between starts, like guys like figuring out a spot. Like that's why like, you see guys with their glove in the dugout, like trying to figure out where they're going to hide it, like on a <laughs> string or different places. Like it is. It's, it's extra maintenance that you got to like deal with when you're trying to figure out like and, and you always got to change your spot because guys are always watching. And if you watch pitchers close enough because – the guys that use pine tar, they go to it before every single pitch, bro. Every mm. single pitch. And they're just like, 
like you, playing with you the just gotta watch him like if you yeah. watch him if i'm watching yeah. the game with you i can show you but okay but if, all right if there's guys if it's whether it's on the bill or their hat on their glove or something but it's guys that do it every single pitch bro it's crazy you know the mental maintenance i'm big on accounting for mental maintenance as well guys like i i it, this is what i when when i was watching do you guys i know you watch billion c do you watch billions david Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, you you remember when when Dollar Bill like it was revealed he had a whole second family that he was taking <laughs> care of. And I, I'm just thinking, like, no matter what benefits you're getting from this, it cannot be worth the mental maintenance that it requires. You know, like this, <laughs> this is how I, I look at the pine tar situation now, because of the way you just described it, David, as like having multiple families all over the country. You know, like Listen, this look at this Big can't Mike, be worth it. Big yeah. Mike had a whole Snickers on his neck, bro. It was a whole, like, it was like a whole thing in Boston. It was crazy. That whole night was crazy, bro. It was crazy. You got flustered. That heck, I just put it right I was right just there. going glomming on my neck. And then Gardy comes running up, yelling at me. Like, was, that was crazy, man. That was oh a funny Oh, my night. gosh. That was a lit. I still remember watching that game. And and the ump touching his <laughs> neck, looking at it. <laughs> his face, yeah. and he was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> like, that one was not hidden well. Uh, David, what did, what did you see from uh, Jordan Montgomery um, at, you know, the end of spring and then his first start uh, here in the regular season? CeCe's little brother there. No, that's what I see. You know, I, I do. Yeah. I, I I see CeCe's influence on Jordan Montgomery. I see a little bit of Andy Pettit's influence probably through CeCe on Jordan Montgomery. He's got the right formula for a lefty. He controls the inside part of the plate with his cutter and his fastball. He pitches in enough to keep him honest, and that just makes that changeup so much better. Maybe the best changeup I've ever seen him have the other night, and it's a direct result of him throwing cutters and fastballs in and keeping him honest in. And then also the inside corner has got to be a two-strike pitch too. You know, you got to be able to when you when you sense that a hitter's sitting off speed with two strikes, you can't always just throw your best slider, your best changeup, or try to get them to chase. Sometimes you got to freeze them on the inside corner. Jordan Montgomery understands that, and he did that just enough to keep the hitters honest. And that's why you saw all those swings and misses on his changeup down and away. Yeah, I mean, I think Coney said it perfectly. His my influence on him is and is through Andy. Like Andy is the influence on both of us. You know what I mean? Like. He is more like Andy than than Andy is more like Andy. Like his, you know what I'm saying? Like his stuff plays to to the way Andy wanted to pitch. If Andy had that changeup, that's what he would. That's exactly the way he would pitch. Cutters in, changeups away, and you know the big curveball. But they have he has the exact same arsenal, but just a little better changeup. So me being able to like give him little Andy nuggets and him being able to like go out and execute with that changeup and being able to you know throw the cutter in at 88 to 90 now. I mean, he's going to be disgusting, man. I'm excited for him. He looked really good the other night, and I think he's just going to keep building on that. Um, you know, and and I, I went to dinner with Hicks a couple nights ago, and he faced him in the sim game, and he was like, man, Monty was really good the other day. And I was like, yeah, I know. I mean, I've been watching. He's like, no, I'm telling you. He was, he's, he's locked in. And, you know, to see him go out and do that in the actual game the other night, was, was, it was fun to watch. Yeah, I feel like he could be an important piece for this team, too, you know, especially when – couple of your other guys are who, who you know, Kluber look good, and, and we'll see Tyone uh, tonight. We're recording Wednesday. He's pitching Wednesday night. Um, but, you know, injuries uh, coming off of them, you know, all of a sudden Montgomery becomes a more important piece, right? Not knowing exactly when Seve's getting back either. Um, David, how about, how about Kluber? 
you know, what what are kind of your your expectations for him and what you saw that first outing, how you feel like he he fits into this Yankee rotation? The, the, the thing that you love about Kluber is he knows he knows how to pitch. So if his arm is healthy, he knows what to do with it. Mm. Uh, he, his velocity is not all the way back, but he can paint both sides of the plate with a, a couple of different kinds of breaking balls. He's got a breaking ball package of cutters and sliders. And I don't even think you know what to call it, you know, whether it's a slider slurve, it's kind of a hybrid, but he's got a couple or three different variations on his breaking ball package and he can throw it to both sides of the plate. And that's, that's next level stuff for me. CC could do that backdoor that slider or bury it away to a lefty. Uh, when you can throw your breaking ball to both sides of the plate and you can spot your fastball, you can pitch in the big leagues. You know, I was, I was thinking about this and it's a little bit like, I mean, it's a little bit of a different topic topic, but Everybody here on this Zoom has gotten uh, vaccinated recently. And, um, you know, we all feel, you know, a level of importance to get that done uh, during this pandemic, which has obviously incredibly altered our lives over the last year plus and and definitely looking at the vaccine as, you know, a, a path back to, uh, to normalcy. Um, it, I, I would imagine as it's becoming widely available and each team is going to be presented with the option of having their team vaccinated. I would imagine that, you know, there'll probably be interesting conversations in the clubhouse, right? Maybe even from a broader league standpoint with the Players Association. David, you've, you know, you've you've been a chief voice among the Players Association. You both have been leaders in the clubhouse. What I'm curious, what do you guys think those conversations would be like? And as, as people who are leaders in there, what kind of things would you want to, be discussing with your teammates and constituents in regard to it as you're trying to, you know, kind of carve a path back to normalcy, but also be respective of people's, you know, personal desires when it comes to things in the medical realm. How, how do you think those conversations would go? Well, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, and CC, you know, understands this as well as anybody, you know, education is so important. You just gotta, you gotta talk them through it because you'd be surprised that, how many people are in the dark? You know, you hear players say, I haven't really thought about it. Well, you know why? You <laughs> need to think about it. And we need to talk about it. And, you know, for me, it's very simple. Yeah, I don't want to be judgmental or come across as judgmental, but get the information out there, get accurate information to them, collectively talk about it, assure them, and ask yourself one question. Do you want to be part of the solution or do you want to continue to be part of the problem? My personal choice was I'm going to be part of the solution. So I, I'm getting vaccinated. Yeah, no, nah, Coney hit that right on the head. I mean, there's nothing you can do but give guys the information and educate them and let them make what decisions best for them. At the end of the day, everybody has to go home to their own families and make their own decisions. You know, they're the head of their own household. You know what I'm saying? So all you can do is educate them the best that you can and hope they make the right decision. But, yeah, I mean, it was a no-brainer for me and my family, you know, to get vaccinated and and you know, try to get that back to some some form of normalcy and, and you know, not keep spreading this thing. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, but the conversations are tough because, you know, everybody's from every different walk of life. And, you know, a baseball clubhouse is, is more diverse than any other clubhouse, I feel like, or, or any other locker room in sports, you know, because it, it's, it's people from all over and different countries and everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, those conversations are probably difficult. But I think if, if you dangle some carrots, like maybe you don't have to wear a mask if you get, you know, if you get vaccinated if you at the stadium, I think, you know, you, you'll get guys to, you know, to sign up. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, 
But I get my second shot on the 23rd. I'm ready to get outside because. <laughs> <laughs> Two. I'm on the 23rd too. <laughs> no, you, got, you guys are same day. I love it. I love it. Yeah, for me, same thing. No brainer. I, I also have to say, like, you know, from a, um, obviously it's not my, it's not my actual field of expertise, but I, as C knows, I've become incredibly well-read in this department. I've like, I've been pretty, um, you know, I feel like I've educated myself incredibly well throughout the entire pandemic. And I think these vaccines are just like unbelievable. I, I think they're amazing. And the research is incredible. And you see what's happening in Israel right now, the way every, all their cases are plummeting as their, as their economy is reopened, as they're dealing with variants, you know, we're talking about their cases have dropped by like 95% since early January. It, it's, a, I mean, it's amazing. And, and, and I think that that's kind of the, the, the key, right? Is like, how do you have those, you know, those conversations with people in the clubhouse to see the benefits? Because we are all now, and this is one of the most difficult parts, and I would imagine it would be difficult to navigate in a more diverse uh, locker room when it comes to, you know, schools of thought, see? Because everybody more than ever is sort of like siloed into their way of thinking, right? Because every every little area of social media you're on is going to continue to feed things to dig you deeper into whatever hole you've already started in. And I'd imagine as, as a leader then who's trying to like diversify thought in the clubhouse, it's probably a more challenging time than ever to try and kind of change minds because of the way information is, you know, directly funneled into people to make them think more of what they already think. Yeah, I'm sure. You I think mean, that, but, but, you think that holds up? Yeah, and, and I mean, just right now with everything that's going on in the world, it's it's hard to be a leader in the clubhouse. You know what I'm saying? With everything racially, everything with this virus, like the clubhouse is like a, it's usually a safe space where you don't talk about any of these things. We just go out, play a baseball game, and then we go home, and then we, you know, you deal with the outside world. Well, now the outside world, this shit is now penetrating the clubhouse. So, yeah, I mean, those are difficult, difficult conversations that I think every you know, sports locker room and clubhouse are, is having across the board. And, and it makes it tough to be a leader. Um, I mean, for, from everything that's going on, like I said, with the virus and trying to get people vaccinated, trying to people get, get, get people to do the right thing from everything that's going on racially. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a tough time to, to be a leader right now, I think. David, before uh, we let you run, man, and thank you for all this time, I'm just wondering, you know, from your perspective, if you were pitching today, what do you think the what analytic tool do you think you would look to most as like a tangible, positive, you know, effector, if you will, uh, on your career and, and, and kind of your development and growth? You know, I was, I was a, a breaking ball artist, especially later in my career. You know, I, I was enamored just to, you know, uh, to the point of obsession on putting spin on a baseball. So, you know, I, different grips. So you sit on the C, I see CC, you, you know, we always have a ball in our hand on the bench, flipping it around. There's nothing more exciting for a pitcher if you learn a new grip. It's like, I learned how to hold it differently. Wow, it's moving like that. <laughs> Pitchers are nutty. We're crazy. We're crazy like that. You know, we're always searching, always search mode for how to impart spin on a baseball. So obviously, you know, I would want to see those numbers, the spin rates. I would want to, you know, use it. You know, I've used it in golf. All this technology is in the golf industry and launch monitors and Tiger Woods used, used this uh, technology to become a better golfer, launch angles, spin, make your driver travel farther because of, of, of having the right metrics. So, you know, I would want to use it. I want to toy around with it on the side. Hey, let me grip it like this. What's that spin rate look like on my curve or my slider or 
two-seamer or splitter. It's not just about high spin. It's about low spin, too, on your changeup or your splitter. You want less spin, so it moves more. So less spin, more movement, higher spin, more jump, and more life. So, yeah, I'd, I would be, I'd be all over those numbers. I don't know how it would help me, maybe in pitch design. I would try to find a way to make it help me, but I'd want to know those numbers. I feel like I feel like you would want to know all those numbers. You'd be throwing your slider from down here. It would be so many different angles you'd be throwing from now because you would have all the numbers. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, but Throw I a pitch to, and look at the screen. Throw a pitch yeah. and look at the screen. Yeah. I want to ask you from, from back, like, you know, who was the biggest influence on your career back then, whether it was a pitching coach or, or, or you know, a, player that you, a pitcher that you played with, but who was, like, the biggest influence on you uh, as a pitcher um, during your career? You know, you know, CC. I was the type of guy that uh, you know uh, I butted heads with pitching coaches. Really, uh, but you know, back in the in the '80s, you know, there was a one way to go about it. You had to do it this way. And I was like, no, I want to throw sidearm too. And they're like, you can't do that. You're going to hurt your arm. And you know, you can't throw front door breaking balls. We throw sliders. When you're throwing a slider to a right-handed batter as a right-handed pitcher, you get it down and away. You don't throw it on the inside corner. And I said, no, I want to throw it on the inside corner. I want a front door. And I want to see him flinch. <laughs> and, and I ended up getting traded. I ended up butting heads with pitching coaches. And now, CC, we see it all over the place. Your backdoor slider was one of the best I ever saw. That was a pitch that pitching coaches frowned on in the 80s. You can't throw. That's a little backup slider. You can't You can't be consistent with that pitch. Yeah, you can. I want to throw that pitch. I want to use it. So, you know, that to me, it was uh, – I kind of did it on my own. You know, I, I butted heads with pitching coaches, the old school guys. And then when I got to the Mets, when the Royals traded me to the Mets, Mel Stottlemyre said, you just be you. You go, we like it. You throw it. Yeah, that was unbelievable. The, my first game with a Met, as a Mets, Jack Clark was a great hitter for the Cardinals. First game, spring training, I dropped down, sidearm slider, started right at his hip. He almost fell out of the batter's box. He'll go right <laughs> down the middle of the plate, strike three. And the Mets threw the ball around the infield. Wally Backman, Keith Hernandez were laughing at me, going, That was awesome. Keep doing that. <laughs> the first time I ever heard that, as opposed to, You can't do that. They said, Keep doing it. So, Getting traded to the Mets was the best thing that ever happened to me in that group of guys and, and Mel Stoudemire. That's awesome. I love that answer, David. I love that. Is there is there a game that you think back to and you replay more than any other with you on the mound? You know, I don't watch a lot. I really don't. You know, I mean, it's hard. It's it's kind of like broadcasting. I can't come home and watch watch the game again. You know, because I, I don't like the way I sound and I'm too really. Hyper- you can't. <laughs> I can't do it. I, you know you what? Can't, I- you can't watch yourself back. Very little, very little. You are the only, and this is serious. You are the only person on a replay when a pitch is thrown that you get you you. It's the right pitch every time. So if 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 O'Neill asks you what pitch is that, and it was a changeup or a split or something, you're the only person on any on any broadcast that can tell every time what pitch it was. Was a curveball, slider, whatever. You always on point. So you can watch the games back because you're really good at it, bro. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm I don't know. You. Insecurity, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> from from a former pitcher, listening to a former pitcher, you're really good at it. You break it down perfectly. So yeah, you do a good you. job. Uh, it's, it, it, and you can imagine what a cheat code it is for the play-by-play guy when you have Coney next to you saying like, you know, because I maybe I'm going to get a decent amount right, right? But I'm not going to be able to identify Araldis Chapman's fork ball right away. I mean, it's, he his, gets you know, it his right split. away. Yeah, he, right, yeah, to have Coney be like this, Give me the splitter signal. I'm like, all right, yes, nice. I can put it on the call. <laughs> or like, you know, we're talking, somebody has a four-pitch repertoire you're trying to like, and Coney giving me the change-up sign or whatever. Like, 
David is amazing like that as your teammate. Like, he will always give to you what the pitch is, Yo, like, and, with his hands. pitchers, like, if we're watching the game, like, we, we recognize that. So I'll be, like, I'll watch a game, and I'll be in the clubhouse, or used to be in the clubhouse, and I'm watching, say, the A's and whoever. And somebody's yelling, oh, well, that was a split right there. I'm not, that's not a damn split. That was a fucking changeup. So, like, pitchers, <laughs> we really pay attention to that. You know what I'm saying? For some reason, it really bothers us. So, Coney yeah. does a great job of, of identifying the pitches before before the replay. <laughs> so true. Yeah, I mean, that's our lie. That's our livelihood, you know? I mean, that's, that's what we see. So, how about, okay, if you're not actually watching on, a, on, a te- on technology, David, is there a game mentally? Like, is it your perfect game? Is it... Is it, you know, game 396 World Series? Is there one game more than others that you think about and kind of can like envision and feel yourself on the mound again and and maybe even just like enjoy reliving or maybe don't and think about something you could have done differently? Is there one game more than others that you think about in that regard and all the big games you pitched? Yeah, I mean, you know, my first game back after I had an aneurysm, you know, I it was uh, 1996. I missed four months. Um, the doctor said, you can't pick up a ball. I was sneaking out, throwing a ball against a brick wall on my own, you know, right after the surgery. Nobody knew if the vein graft, I had an arterial bypass. They took a vein from my leg, my upper thigh, and sewed it into my shoulder, into the artery, and it actually worked. And I was pushing it right from the start. I want to say, is this thing going to hold up or not? Is my arm going to fall off? So, you know, I made two minor league rehab starts, two. And then went, uh, went out to Oakland and pitched that game. And I had seven no-hit innings in that game. And my dad flew out with me. And uh, the A's were great. Oakland um, put my dad right above our dugout in the first row. So every time CC I got off the mound, you know, my, my dad, my old man, the guy who taught me how to pitch, he was my coach, you know. Uh, every time I'd walk off the mound, I'd look at my dad. It was the only time in the big leagues. And you know, CC that the family section, it's hard to find them sometimes. And you know, uh, but that was that one game, the, the emotion of thinking my career was over uh, and coming back and then getting taken out after seven innings, got a no hitter going. I didn't know what to say to Joe Torre at that point. I was so thankful that I was back. But that game, emotionally, everything about that game to me is is head and shoulders above any other game I ever pitched. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I can still remember where I was that day that you pitched that game. Um, I was... Uh, I was driving to my Aunt Sherry and Uncle Ralph's uh, house. We were listening in the car. You had uh, thrown, I think, like six innings of no-hit ball. I got into the house. It was, I watched the seventh. Then, like, I was like, oh, they can't take him out. They can't take him out. But I, like, kind of knew they were going to have to. And, like, I, when they took you out, I went outside. And I came back in and saw Mo gave up the hit with one out in the ninth, right? I think, yeah, I saw, and I saw the hit and I was like, ah, man, like that, but I can still remember everything about that, uh, that outing and how incredible I was like, geez, he he just came back from, you know, nearly dying and he's got a no hitter going. This is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You see, well, CC, you'll appreciate this because when I went to Mo after the game and you know, Mariano as well as anybody. I said, man, we almost did it. We could have combined and had, he, he didn't have a clue. What do you mean? We almost did what? He didn't know the <laughs> No clue. He came up the ninth, and I was like, man, that was so, we could have been history together, bro. And he's like, uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> that is uh, classic Mo right? answer right there, definitely. <laughs> that, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. That's a great story. David, we love having you on the podcast, man. Thank you for doing this again. We so appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Cece, we'll get you up in the booth, man. Let's go.
Oof, I don't know about that, man, but thank you for coming on the podcast. <laughs> I'll be in some games this summer, though. Hey, what, what about, what about, I, I, I said, I said to CeCe, how about if we, we have this trio do one series? We, we make it a, a, a pitching deep dive, see? If we can do like a West Coast, Seattle, Oakland series, I, I, I might do that. If it's this trio, I'm in, if I'm in. Okay. All right. Sounds good. We'll talk. We'll talk to Flip about it. Uh, awesome, David. Thank you, man. I can't wait to see you at the stadium, partner. Sounds good, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tony. Well, see, I I love David finishing with that story about Mo having no idea that he was throwing a combined no hitter with David uh, in '96 uh. in Oakland. That's classic Bo, too. And that was probably before he was even the closer, right? Like, he's just... Yeah, you're right. He, he wasn't. wasn't the closer yeah. yet, so... He was the setup man. It's always been the same. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's so great. Uh, love the conversation with David. We hope you did as well. You guys know the deal. New episodes every Thursday. Bonus episodes as well. Follow us on Spotify. Uh, you can download or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Let all your friends and family know. Plus, we got a lot of awesome things happening now on our social channels. Our boy Atta is doing incredible stuff uh, with R2C2, so make sure you're following R2C2 on Instagram as well as Twitter. Um, and uh, we look forward to a new episode uh, next week, and we'll see if um, we'll see if Major League Baseball listens to CC and they stop having injured uh, p- pitching replacements warm up on the game mounds instead of the bullpen. I don't think it's the league. I think it's the actual fucking players. So pitchers, don't warm up on the game mound, please. That's Karsten Charles Sabathia letting you know it's time for change. We'll see you next week. Peace, everybody.